Hi there. Thanks for tuning in to the Res Life Big Rapids podcast. We're glad you found us, and we hope this message helps shape you into something that looks like Christ. Now let's listen in. Anyway, today I'm going to wrap up our series called Hobby Lobby Theology. How many people have been enjoying the Hobby Lobby Theology series? I know I have. Um, if today's your first time joining us and you're like, Hobby Lobby Theology, what in the world is he talking about? Uh, you can go back online and you can, you can uh, watch or listen uh, to the last messages. I guess that's if you like this one. And uh, you can go back and you can watch them. But what, what is it all about really is it's this. It's, there's so many people today who have made a decision to make Jesus Lord of their life. They raised their hand, they said a prayer, or they personally prayed with somebody, or they prayed on their own, one way or another. They got saved. And the thing is, is that part of being a believer is being in God's Word and growing and learning from God's Word. That's why it's there. I've been using this statement all this whole month long, is that God wants to take us from sinful to Godful. And the way that, that we become full of the things of God in our life is by being in the Word. But most people don't ever get into the Word. The most real studying that we do is by reading, uh, you know, scriptures on home decor or on social media, or if you ever downloaded the YouVersion Bible app, it gives you that notification every day, that, that verse of the day. Unless you turn off notifications, then you wouldn't get that either. And so the problem is, is, is that we, we are a bunch of people who want God in our lives and we want change in our lives, but we, we need to be in the Word to do that, and we're just not. So our theology, our, our understanding, our study of the Word comes from places like Hobby Lobby, so thus Hobby Lobby theology. Um, so what we've done for the last month is we've looked at some major scriptures, like one-verse scriptures, that people all around the world use all the time, but they often use incorrectly or they misquote them. And as we've been talking about what those statements that, that so many people use really mean, we've also been, been including in that Bible study techniques or rules, if you want, or tips uh, to help you in your personal study. My hope is that after this series, you're going to want to go home and read the Word, and when you do, you'll apply these tips, these things that, that, uh, that we've listed in your personal life, and it'll bring more revelation and understanding of God's Word for you. So I want to go through that list real quick. Last week, I had you write each one down as we went. I'm not going to do that this week. Um, the ushers also handed out a bookmark for you um, at, at the front door, and if you didn't get one, it's because we ran out, because after last service, I told people, if you didn't get one or you want another one, go grab one, and they just cleaned us out, okay? So, uh, so they will have them again next week. They'll be handing them out again, so if you didn't get one this week, get one next week. Here they are, the five rules of Bible study that, that we've been talking about. Number one is context. Everybody say context. Okay, when we read one scripture, like, you know, verse 25, we need to make sure we understand what that verse was really written there for. And so it's important that we don't just read one verse, but we read the whole section or maybe the whole chapter or sometimes the whole book of the Bible to fully understand what it's talking about. Okay, so context is important. Number two is setting. Everybody say setting. Really, setting is part of understanding context. This is, this is really talking about who was the scripture written to um, or spoken to and what was the, the setting surrounding those people in their situation. 
You know, sometimes there's things in the Bible, and I love the Bible because it's a truthful book, okay? It's a historical book that's full of truth. It shows people's good and people's bad. It doesn't just sugarcoat things. So sometimes there's things in the Word there just for us to get an understanding of who God is or of of a situation or how God can change a situation. And then there's some parts of, of the Word, depending on the setting of it, that are written directly to us, that we can apply directly to our lives. Number three is foreshadowing. Everybody say foreshadowing. So in the Old Testament especially, there's a lot of situations where we see somebody going through something in their life, and it is a mirror image, or it is, it's a, they also call it a type, where, where you see this happen in the Old Testament, it's a mirror image of exactly what's happening, what happens in the future, or, or foreshadowing is also something where it's talking about something that's going to come in the future, and, and that, it, that it's like, okay, now I can be preparing for that because the Word says it's coming. So we should be looking for those things when, when we're reading the Word. Number four is headings, verse numbers, and chapters. Everybody say that with me. Headings, verse numbers, and chapters. We need to remember that the Bible, when in its original text, did not have headings or, or chapters or, or, book, or, or verse numbers. It wasn't in there. It was written as letters or as a, like a documentary or, or a bibliography of somebody's life, okay? So, so you you got to kind of sometimes take those numbers and those things out because it can break up the way that it was originally supposed to sound. Great example. Uh, Jesus teaches the Sermon on the Mount. They say it's his greatest teachings of all time. It's, one, it's Matthew 5 through 7. Each little teaching he did has a heading at the top of it. Okay, so there's like a section of scripture maybe this big in your Bible, on the page of your Bible, and it has a heading on it, all right? And then there's another heading and another heading in sections like this. Jesus didn't say, and now I'm going to do the parable of the sower, blah, 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 blah. And now I'm going to do the parable of the talents, blah, 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 blah. He didn't do that. What he did is he just got up there and he taught a message that included all these things, but they were all intertwined. But the headings can cause us to stop reading in places where it's not appropriate to stop reading, Okay. So you can actually buy a Bible, if you ever wanted to, that has all the Scripture without any verse numbers or any headings or any of that extra stuff in it. makes it a little harder to find the Scripture you're looking for, but, uh, but you could buy a Bible like that, and a lot of people do, and they study out of it because it helps them to put all the thoughts together instead of breaking them up. Number five, the last one here, is words and language matter. Everybody say words matter. Okay. So God was intentional with the way that he worded things in the Bible. He was intentional. God doesn't make mistakes, and he doesn't do things out of order. He did it on purpose. A great example of this is Jesus is talking to one of the disciples, and he says, I, I love you. Know, how much do you love me? And he, and he says, and the response back from his disciple is, is you know, I love you like this. In, in our language, in English, it just says love every time. But if you look in the original text that that was written in, each time he says love, it's a different type of love. There's brotherly love, there's, there's, there's all these, there's fatherly love, and then there's true, like, like passionate love, okay? But we wouldn't know that unless we take the time to look at it. So when we see things like that, we want to make sure that we're studying out and knowing the real words. In your Bible, in almost every Bible you're going to read, in that, in that scripture and in many others, there's going to be a little box with a letter in it, okay? And you're going to go to the footnote at the bottom of the page, and it's going to say, what that really means in Hebrew, or it's going to tell you where to study it out, okay? Don't ignore those things. Those are in there for you to have greater understanding of the words in the Bible, okay?
Okay, that's a five. Today, we're going to look at the last statement I want to cover, and it's a, it's a doozy. And so uh, before I get into it, let's bow our heads, let's pray, and prepare for the word. Father, thank you so much for each and every person here. And I just pray that as we study your word today, that you give us fresh revelation about who you are and, and give us fresh understanding about how to be in the word and understand the word. God, give us ears that hear, give us hearts that understand, and give us minds that desire to live like you and to live for you. In Jesus' name, and everybody says, amen. amen. All right, so today's scripture is so well known. And it is used by Christians or believers all the time. And, uh, and as, as we say all the time, every week, a lot of times this is used in the wrong situation or applied in the wrong way. And so I want to dig into it today and talk about this Hobby Lobby scripture. It's, it's Romans 8.28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. How many people have uh, read this on a piece of driftwood some, at some point in their life? I have. I, I, feel, I feel as though I have. Um, I'll be honest, I love this scripture. This is an incredibly powerful scripture that talks about how God is working in the life, lives of believers. And, and it's powerful. Um, but the problem is this. It's that more often we use this scripture to judge the character of God instead of using it to trust the character of God. That's the first one in your notes today. We use this scripture, Romans 8.28, to judge the character of God instead of using it to trust his character. What do I mean by that? Well, How often do we use this scripture in ungodly situations, expecting God to turn ungodly situations around for good? And then, guys, when he doesn't, we're mad at God because we trusted him. Maybe you, maybe you caught this as a trend as we went through the last five weeks. This is the fifth week of this. Is, is that in almost every case, in almost every scripture that we looked into, that if it's misinterpreted, it leads to us being mad at the Lord. God's word is here to bring us life. Everybody say life. And the problem is, is when we misuse God's word or we mishandle God's, God's word, often it leads to death instead of life. Okay, And that's not what God wants. God wants you to, to read his word and to read it in, in the correct way and to get life out of it so that it helps you to become the person he created you to be and to live out all the fruits of the spirit and all the promises that he has in here. And so it's important that, we, that we're understanding this correctly. So um, the problem with this is we tell people that God's going to work your situation for good. And then shortly after that, they're like, well, my situation hasn't gotten better this doesn't feel good to me. This isn't, this, oh, how, how could this be good? So, so like we should do every time, we should look deeper at the scripture to understand the context so that when we do use it, we're using it the way that God intended it to be used. Side note real quick. I know for some people, they don't read the Bible because they're intimidated by the word and they feel like they just won't get it or like it's, it's just... This is something that's not, you know, they're not able to do. And guys, that's why we're doing this series, really, is so that you can take these tips that we have, you can take them home, and you can learn, that, you can learn from the Word on your own. Because God's Word wasn't just written for your pastor. God's Word was written for you, okay? That's in your notes. I want you to write it down. And it may seem super simple and super, like, like why are you having me fill this out? God's Word is written for you or for me. It, it's because... The church has not always taught people that. 
If you go back in church history, shortly after the apostles, were, were, had, their lives were over and the church really was functioning, what they had done is the pastors had the Bible written, or the priests had the Bible written in languages that the local people couldn't understand. So that they had the power to say what they wanted and do what they wanted. And I just want you to know, I am not your middleman to God. You should not be relying on me for you to have a relationship with God. And I, and I, I, had, I said that first service in, in a little different wording that some guy in the corner was like, Amen! I was like, wow, all right. <laughs> yes, you're right, amen. But I have people who will say to me, like, you're, I see your church members are posting videos from other pastors, other churches around the world, Stephen Furtick's and people like that. Does that, does that bother you? Absolutely not. Because I'm not your source for God. You, that excites me when I see that other people, that you, are, are, are looking into the Word during the week. You're, you're, you're digging into God's Word or you're listening to other messages or other things like that. Like Your relationship is not God, Ross, and you. It should be God and you. That's why the Word was written for you. It's because God knew that you needed a connection for transformation. To go from sinful to godful. And so his, his word is for you. So anyway, let's look at Romans 8.28. Uh, specifically, we should look right away at the context, rule number one. And we should look at the setting, rule number two. Okay, so uh, let's, let's talk about that. Romans is a letter that's written to the Roman church, to church-going, uh, God-believing people. Say, it was written for me. Because you are, a, you, you, well, most of us probably are, are God-believing, Christ-believing, and, and church-going people. Um, and so, so this can be applied directly to our lives. But the context, if you're reading in the Word, the, the, what, what the setting of what is happening is that uh, these Christians are going through a lot of turmoil and a lot of persecution. Life is very hard, and it's very difficult for them to be able to stick up for God and stick up for themselves for, in, you know, as, a, as a believer in their current setting. And so... So it's not easy always to stand up for your faith. And so this applies to us in that situation when we feel like it's hard to stand up for our faith. And, uh, and this is where I want to pick up reading. So in Romans 8, 22, we'll start. Just follow along with me. It says this. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Verse 24, for in this hope we're saved, but hope that, that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And here it is in verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. But it doesn't stop there. Listen. Verse 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, and that, that those, and those he predestined, he also called, those he called, he also justified, those he justified, he also glorified. Who's following me still? Okay, like four hands. It's, sometimes we read the word, and it's hard to get what they're talking about, right? 
Like there's some wording in there and things about the earth groaning and pregnancy. I'm just not sure. Like what in the world is this all about? In verse 26 and 27 kind of seems more obvious. It talks about how we can acknowledge that sometimes we feel weak to, to stand up for God or live for God, but that the Spirit's fighting for us when we don't know what to do. I mean, that, that seems kind of clear. And then we get the scripture about how God just will take every situation, or we think this is what it says, and, and he'll turn it for the good for those who love him. And, uh, and so I want to fi- add one final rule to the Bible study list of rules. And, uh, and it's, it's fairly simple, but when, re- when the wording confuses you, try a different version of the Bible, okay? Sometimes it's tough. And, you know, a couple weeks ago I was pretty heavy-handed about the King James Version and about how, you know, it's not the only version that we can study. The reason why is because we don't understand it. The wording is confusing. It's hard to follow. And if you can't understand the wording, you can't understand the Scripture. And you, can, you can't apply it to your life if you don't understand it. So sometimes it's good to read a different version. So today I want to do just this. By looking at a different version of, of the Bible or a different translation, I'm going to read it from the Message Bible, okay? Now some people are critical of the Message Bible because it's not really a version. It's, it's Eugene Peterson's translation from the Bible. So he's just he wrote it. He was a pastor and he wrote it to try to help people understand what the Bible's saying. I don't study directly out of the message, but when I'm confused, I go to the message to look at what it says. I want to read it to you again and follow along with me, and let's just see if you understand this a little more, okay? Romans 8, 22. Here we go, in the message version. All around us, we observe a pregnant creation. The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pains, but it's not only around us, it's within us. The Spirit of God is arousing us within, and we're also feeling those birth pains. These sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance, and that's why waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. Okay, so now we get more of a picture when you think about it, because a pregnant lady doesn't get smaller as her pregnancy goes on, right? Right? I've had, we've had five, okay, I get it. No, she grows bigger. In fact, it says it, next line, we are enlarged in the waiting, we, of course, don't see what's enlarging us, but the longer we wait, the, longer, or the larger we become, and the more joyful our expectancy. Okay, so this makes sense now when you think about it, that waiting on God doesn't break down our faith. Instead, just like a pregnant mother gets more and more excited as she gets to the moment of delivering her new child, we should be more and more excited about what God's going to do. Okay? Verse 26. Meanwhile, the moment we get tired in the waiting, God's Spirit is right alongside us, helping us along. If we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in and for us, making prayer out of our wordless sighs and our aching groans. He knows us far better than we know ourselves. Amen? Amen. He knows our pregnant condition, and he keeps us present before God. And listen, that's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. There's Romans 8.28 in the message. That's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. But it doesn't stop there. Verse 29, God knew what he was doing from the very beginning, And he decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son, Jesus. The son stands first in the line of humanity he restored, and 
we see uh, the original and the intended shape of our lives there in him. So Jesus is the example by how we're supposed to live. After God made that decision of what his children should, should be like, he followed it up by calling people by name. After he called them by name, he set them on a solid basis with himself, and then after getting them established, he stayed with them to the end, gloriously completing what he had begun. So much easier to understand, isn't it? It, it, And so if you're confused, don't just be confused and close your Bible. Pull out your phone, go to that Bible app I said you downloaded, and click on the message and just try reading it in a different version. Or maybe... Maybe you need to go to the NIV or you need to go to the, to the Amplified Version because they're, they're, all, they're, they're all God's Word. They're just worded slightly different so you can understand it, okay? So they're saying the same thing, that we're part of God's plan, that sometimes being part of the plan is difficult, but if we continue to live a life of love for God, He'll complete His plan in us and in the world. So I want to look at some specifics here about Romans 8.28. Um, and, and this is the thing about it. Romans 8.28 is is most commonly used when somebody is in a tragedy or in a sickness or something like that. And so a a really well-meaning Christian believer goes to them and says, Hey, you know, the Bible says in Romans 8.28 that God will work all things for good in your life. So hang in there because even though the situation is really terrible and it it just seems like there's no end in sight or no hope in sight, God's doing something and he's going to use it for good. And the problem happens when the result of what the, or the outcome of that situation is something that doesn't feel good. And so now we begin to say, hey, maybe God doesn't answer his promises. Maybe he's a liar. And, that, and, and that's just a dangerous place to be. Is it possible that if you do that kind of thing, that you could be responsible for leading someone to believe that God doesn't do what he says he would do. So I think we have to honestly look at what the verse says. So rule number five is words matter. Everybody say words matter. matter. Okay, so let's read it and let's talk about the words. Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Say that with me. Of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Point number one today is this, what's love got to do with it? You want to sing it? You want to sing it with me? Ready? Here we go. Three, two, one. What's love got to do, got to do with it? Everything. What's love been a second-hand emotion? What? Come on. The joy of the Lord. You wanted to sing it as soon as I said it. What's love got to do with it? Love has everything to do with this scripture. See, here's the thing. The misinterpretation is this. We, we, we read and we say the scripture correctly, those who love him, but we mentally interpret this scripture as those that God loves. You, you catching the difference here? Okay, so the scripture says that it's... 
those who love God, we think in our minds without saying it that it's those that God loves. And we all know that God loves everybody. So if God loves everybody, then every situation in everybody's life, no matter who they are, no matter what the situation is, he's going to take it and use it for good. And that is not what the scripture says. Words matter. And we have to use these words correctly. Words matter. This scripture is very clear. We have to choose to love God. We have to choose to love God. And now if we look at the scripture, it says, those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose, the word is very clear that every person in this room, in the world, has a calling on their life by God. He has a plan and a purpose for every person's life. So we all, we all apply to that end part who've been called to, to his purpose. And if you're like, well, wait a second, I don't know if I am. The Bible says that we are all part of the body of Christ, that we each have an individual part to play in the overall body of Christ. In other words, the movement of God's kingdom and his plan forward. So you have a part, that means you're called. You're part of it. But the part where you might be missing it the part where it's your decision is whether or not you're going to choose to love God. you got to choose. So now it becomes, if we, if we think of it wrong, if we think of it who God loves, God's supposed to change everybody's situation no matter what. But if we understand it in the way that it's written, God's going to change the situation in the life of somebody that loves him. What does that love for him look like? I was, I was kind of heartbroken this, this week. I got, was sent an article uh, about a friend of mine's wife. And I, when I was in my early 20s, I was friends with a, with a fairly famous worship leader. He was, he was young then, and he had just really hit it, hit it off big. Um, and so he's been kind of all over the country. He travels everywhere and, you know, sings praise and worship songs that he wrote and and does concerts and all this stuff for Jesus. And uh, the article that was sent to me was his, and I'm not close with him anymore, but was from his wife. And she's explaining how he's, he's an atheist now. He doesn't believe in God. And I was like, what? They're doing it good in the kids' area. So I'm like, what? I mean, this guy, is, his whole life he's been in church. I know the churches that he was part of, and I was at the one church with him for a while, and this is a good church that teaches the word and teaches it accurately and correctly. And, and this, guy, this guy's written multiple famous, famous worship songs, praise and worship songs, in the last 10, 15 years. Uh, you, I'm not afraid to say it. I mean, it was public all over the place. His name is Michael Gunger. He wrote the song Friend of God. And, he's, and so he declares he's an atheist. And in the... And in the article, his wife's explaining why. The reason why. He said, because the Bible talks about how God loves everybody. How can he let people go through pain and suffering and trial in their life if he loves everybody? And I thought to myself, like, how infantile is that kind of thinking? We live in a world full of sin, people. And the Bible is clear. We have to choose God. He already chose us when he sent Jesus to die on the cross. He doesn't have to send Jesus to do it again for you. It's a, that was a one and done deal, all right? It's now our choice to love God. 
And so, so to get mad when somebody who doesn't have a relationship with God and doesn't anything and, and the things happen, it still hurts in us that somebody's going through pain. And don't you think it hurts God too? He's just saying, if you just choose me, because I already chose you. So we have to choose to love God. Point number two that comes out of the scripture is this. What is the definition of good? So even if you're talking to a believer, and this is what I think is important. One, if you're going to use this scripture with somebody who's going through something in their life and you want to talk about God working things for good, you need to know that they love God. And that is not the easiest thing to do because there's a lot of believers or people who claim to be Christians who really aren't loving God or living to love God. Okay, so, but it's, let's say you know 100% that they're living for the Lord, that they love the Lord, and all of that, and you want to use this scripture, you need to start to, to also think about what is God's definition of good compared to our definition of good. To us, good is things that feel good to us. It's all about emotion and feeling. But to God, it might be something completely different that's good. Um, anybody here remember Brother Abraham, our missionary in India? He was here this last spring, and he's come and visited us a few times. So Brother Abraham, he was, he was going to med school, and he was going to make, make big difference in, you know, in the world, and he, a lot of doctors come out of there, and so he was, had, had this plan. And the Lord lays on his heart, you're going to quit that, and you're going to go, and you're going you're gonna to speak on the street. You're going to go and minister to people on the street in India. Now, in India, that's something that can get you killed. So he does this, and he, he kind of weathers through all kinds of persecution and things and struggles and trials. Now today, they've planted over 4,000 churches in India. They have 18 orphanages. They have two Bible schools, and they have multiple places where destitute women can learn a trade so that they can have a life as well, making a huge difference there. Now, why am I talking about Brother Abraham? Because when he's here, he's always talking about these pastors of his that live in these remote villages who are being beaten and murdered for their faith. Their, their wives and their kids are being killed right in front of them. I just got an email two weeks ago from him talking about one of their pastors who was in this, this village and they told him he, they wanted him out, the leaders did, and he said, I'm not leaving. This is where the Lord has me. And so they took him out in the street, and they beat him and left him for dead in this muddy road in the middle of a rainstorm. And he laid in the ditch in the mud for two days before, uh, before his wife found him. They were searching all over to try to find him. They find him. They get him to the hospital. Broken bones and, and lost sight in one of his eyes. I mean, all this stuff. And, and so what's he do when he's healthy? Went right back to the village, and he's preaching the gospel in that village. How can that be good? Right? How can we consider that good? It's because our definition of good is not God's definition of good. The good that this scripture is talking about isn't you getting your job. The good that this scripture is talking about is God's ultimate plan for his kingdom and for good. For his good. What is really good to God? Good is God taking you from sinful to Godful. It's you experiencing life change to become the person that he created you to be. To begin to live the life that he, he wants you to live out. 
And how can, how can I know this? How can I even say this from up here? Because, you know, how many people have we lost that we love? And we go, how can this be good? How can this be good? Because here, good is based on our emotions and our feeling. And what losing people hurts. People going through pain, it hurts. But to God, it's different. We read that Paul says to live is Christ and to die is gain. How can Paul say to live is Christ and to die is gain is because he realizes what God's version of good is as opposed to his version of good. I want to read to you what he actually said in context. Philippians 1 verse 20 says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die gain and he explains himself verse 22 if I'm going to go on living in the body this will mean fruitful labor for me yet what shall I choose I don't know I'm torn between the two I desire to depart to die to go on and be with Christ which is better by far but it is more necessary for you to the church that he's writing to the Philippians that, that I remain in the body Convinced of this, I know that I'll remain, that I won't die. He's in jail. He's in peril. And and he says, I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus, your faith in Christ Jesus, your love for Christ Jesus will abound on account of me, on account of my life. This seems crazy to us to think that dying for God is good and again, but, but we've never lived in persecution for our faith, guys. We get mad because they tell us we can't read a Bible in the school. Reading the Bible in India is a death sentence. Like we don't even know what it means to face struggles for God. And and I know you might be facing something in your family. They're giving you a hard time or they think you're crazy or this or that. But it doesn't even compare to in India where if you tell your dad that you, you got saved, that he personally will be the one to kill you. But let's look at it from God's point of view. If you love God so much that you're willing to die for him, is that good to God? It's good to God. If you love him so much that you're willing to, to give your life, to give the, the really the most important thing that there is, your life, at least in the flesh, in the world, for him, then to him that's good. So when can we apply the scripture? When we know we're living for God or the person is living for God and that he, when we trust that he has our best in mind. And sometimes his best is not our best or what we think our best would be. But if it's God's best, then it is good. This whole, this whole series has been wrapped around this one scripture that I keep bringing up every week. It's 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It says this, it says, All scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God, you and me, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This series might have been an eye-opener for you, to like because some of the scriptures that I talked about might be ones you've used, and you realized that you you haven't been using them the right way, or maybe it's an eye-opener because you never thought about studying the Word this way. And, and so I want to challenge you. 
I'm making the, the, the challenge today, the commitment to challenge you to get into the Word. Don't be afraid of it. Don't shy away from it. Find some time in your life to get into God's Word and start using some of the tips and the things that, that we've given you to help you get more understanding out of it. I, I want to say this before I close because I'm just about to close. If you will get into the Word and apply these things, it will produce more in your life than anything else will. It'll produce more in your life than the new job that you want. It'll produce more in your life than the relationship that you're hoping for and longing for. It'll produce more in your life than, than any desire, any situation, any new car, boat, house, thing will, will produce in your life. Why? Because God wrote it for you. And we sometimes forget that God created us. And so he created both these things to go like this simultaneously together to connect us and to help us have transformation to live the most fulfilling life that we can have. He, he's done that by giving us the word. So I want to challenge you to get into the word and to allow God to speak to your heart, give you new revelation, new understanding, and it'll grow you into the person that he really made you to be, and you'll find out it's the person you want to be. Just like Scott. I mean, it took a step. And even, I'm glad his wife didn't take the check out of the thing. And I'm not glad because that finances came to the church. I'm glad because it was a step of obedience that has produced life change. I love that, that in the end, he started talking about things that had nothing to do with money. His kids going to 412, where I know Pastor Keith is preaching the word every single week. All right, He's talking about getting connected with family here in small groups. He's talking about volunteering. He's talking about being part or serving and all, being part of all the different things that God is doing in this area. Life change happens because of obedience, and part of obedience is reading God's word. Mic drop. Why don't we bow our heads real quick? Father, I thank you for each and every person here. God, your word says that we were fearfully and wonderfully made, that you know us better than we know ourselves, and that you desire relationship with us. But you don't just desire it for, for, for your own purpose. You desire it because you love us, and you want to see us fulfill the destiny that you created us for. And that that destiny is fulfilling for us and for you. And God, I pray today that we can begin to trust you more, to rely on you more, and to live for you more, stronger in our lives. God, there's a lot of people here who, who are confused about the word or they think there maybe had some aha moments over the last five weeks. And God, I pray that instead of them feeling down about their understanding of the word, it drives them to be in the word, to study it, and to want to really understand what you're saying how you're leading us that we, so that we can be equipped so that we can be ready to share your love with other people and to live the life that you, you made for us. God, I thank you that we get to gather together and that, that we do live in a place where we don't face persecution like they do in India. But God, don't let us become lazy just because of that. Let us have a desire and a drive to see your kingdom come and your will be done in this area and in our families and in our lives. Thanks again for tuning in today. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can check us out online at rlcbr.org. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast in the iTunes store or your podcast feed. We love you, and remember to always reach up, reach in, and reach out. Have a great week.